Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello and welcome along to We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. Coming up this week, we have a busy show. I'll be speaking to writer-director Paddy Slattery and actor Tristan Heenu about their film Broken Law. Now, you'll remember that this gritty Irish crime thriller, it was released in cinemas last year, but it's now available to watch on Netflix, which is great for everyone involved because it now opens the film up to a much wider audience. We'll be chatting to Paddy and Tristan very shortly on We Love Movies. Plus, staying with all things Netflix, They had made a big announcement during the week that they're going to have over 70 new films available to watch over the course of 2021 and they'll be rolling them out one by one over each week throughout the course of the year. So interesting times ahead, but are the films any use? We'll be delving into them a little later. Plus, we'll have a roundup of all the big movie stories from the week. So lots to come on this week's We Love Movies. We love movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. And a film we've really been behind on the show is Broken Law. It made its cinematic debut last year at the Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival. Went down an absolute treat with cinema goers. It had a limited cinema run due to the global pandemic. But now you can see Broken Law on Netflix, which is great news for everyone involved in the film. I recently spoke to its writer-director, Paddy Slattery, and one of the film stars, Tristan He knew all about the making of the film and the news that it's now available to watch on Netflix. But before we hear from the lads, here's just a quick breakdown of the plot. Tristan Hinu, he plays Dave Connolly. He's a respected member of Angarda Shiakana, but his loyalty to the law gets tested by his ex-convict brother Joe, played by Graham Early, who is in desperate need of his help. Before we hear from Paddy Slattery and Tristan Hinu, here's a little bit from Broken Law. So you're out then. That's no thanks to you either. I have an idea. Let's just say we can kill two boards with one stone. Could I digest it? It was stupid. Put the gun down and let her go. I could have got somebody killed. Well, you didn't. They never asked me to do you another favour again. Do you think you're better than me or something? You have a girl, man! Got a surface. When he does, I'm gonna bury him below the surface. He'll be the last fish you ever see. So there is a little bit from Broken Law, which very excitedly now is available on Netflix. And I'm delighted now to be joined by the film's writer-director, Paddy Slattery, and one of the stars of the film, Tristan Hinu. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Paddy, I spoke with you so much throughout 2020 from the Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival to the release of Broken Law into cinemas. And now here we are with the release onto Netflix, which is going to open it up to an even wider audience. Before we talk about the film's genesis, the production, all of that, tell me about getting the call that Netflix are interested and there's a chance it's going to end up on that platform. My God, it feels like 10 years ago since uh, Dublin International Film Festival last year. Um, But yeah, it's... Simon Doyle and I, uh, a producer on uh, Broken Law, we had very early on, even before we premiered, we had um, we we had decided to collaborate with Breakout Pictures, our distributor, and Rob and Nell there. They at that time 
were really interested and they were kind of working hard to, uh, I guess, set the table for broken law uh, down the line. And even at that early stage, they were in early discussion with Netflix. So it was always there in the hope of it materializing and eventually they got a, a deal over the line. And once they told us, yeah, I popped a few bottles of champagne, I have to say. <laughs> it's fantastic. Tristan, what about yourself finding out that uh, Netflix are now going to be uh, showing a Broken Law? Yeah, it was amazing. I I got like a sneak, I guess, a little preview of the information from, from Paddy. I kind of twisted his arm. So uh, I found out a few weeks ago. And yeah, delighted, really happy because... Even though it's it, it got the cinema release and that a lot of people didn't get to see it uh, because of the situation with COVID. So, you know, a lot of my my friends went, but there was a lot of people who didn't want to to risk it or, or travel. So, it's just going to bring it into so many people's living rooms that haven't got an opportunity to see it again. And um, yeah, and especially with in another lockdown now, hopefully a lot of people will, you know will will watch it. Just before the clip, Paddy, I gave a sense of the story to Broken Law just to fill people in. But if I'm right in thinking that this started out as a different type of film initially, I've heard you um, say in previous interviews that Nitty Magnolia was the uh, not necessarily um, the sort of the vibe you're going for, but it was going to be a big ensemble. Broken Law of Attraction, I think, was the original title. So can you tell me about distilling it then down to a story about two brothers then on the opposite sides of the law? You're right. The, The original concept was very, for anyone that has never seen Magnolia, it's about about seven or eight different characters whose lives intertwine. And it's, I guess it shows us how fate uh, and coincidence ha- have a, a role in our lives. And I was inspired by that concept. Um, so the scope of the broken law of attraction at that time, it was huge. And it was really for financial and practical reasons that we had to condense it down because we couldn't get the budget really to make a big ensemble piece. So again, Simon and I, at the very earliest stages of, of script development, we decided, yeah, let's find where a real story is. And we found that the story between Tristan's character, Dave, and his brother, Joe, played by Graham Early, we found that's where the beaten heart of the story was. And although it, it almost feels generic, you know, two brothers on opposite sides of the law, that sort of Cain and Abel kind of parable, I wanted to throw a sort of a modern uh, twist on that kind of story. So we we don't just see your generic crime drama. We see it's almost <laughs> Greek tragedy in many ways and the way a family can, can be torn apart by loyalty. And, and yeah, once we had our finger on the pulse of the story, we kind of went with that and it eventually evolved into the broken law we see now. Tristan, for you with this character, Dave, he's a solid straight shooter type of guy. Did he change or evolve when you shot the promo video to get financiers interested from those there, that early shoot? I think, and Paddy probably agreed that he was kind of one of the mainstays, really, wasn't he, Paddy? Throughout where he didn't change dramatically. I've often uh, teased you, Tristan, in the past because I wanted, the reason I thought you were perfect for that character was I wanted a character who's morally ambiguous. You know, he can look like your boy next door who's a, a gentleman, but at the same time, you have to keep your eye on him because he could shaft you, you know, the wrong move. <laughs> so you're right. So, yeah, he was like, he was 
his kind of journey was was kind of one of the main was one of the things from the earlier drafts uh, which I read. I read the first draft in 2012 after I met Paddy for the first time. Can I ask you both really on this? Because one of the things you will find, obviously, with the independent films is that, you know, it's it's time and money are the, the two big obstacles that you're faced with. Um, so on a given shooting day, do you know in advance how many takes you may get? Because I don't know how it would work, Tristan, just from an acting perspective. But if you know, OK, I've got three takes on this, I'm pretty much going to have to give it my A game on each one. Or, Paddy, is it a case where you're a little bit more relaxed and going, well, you know what, we, we, well, we're here till whatever time and we'll do it as long as it takes. So how does it work for both sides of you? Paddy, I'll start with you first on that question. So if if we do, I mean, the hope is that you'll have time for two, three, four, four takes. But to be honest, we, I mean, the style in which we shot, we had the freedom to be uh, very spontaneous and, and sort of run and gun, so to speak sort of shoot as we go. But we done most of our development of scenes and emotional context of scenes prior to even stepping on the set. So that would eliminate any time chewed up on set. So um, there was many cases in some scenes where we had no time. We, we literally had to shoot as we go, shoot rehearsals. And that's why I cringe when I see some scenes because we literally just, we had no time for take two. And that was, it was horrible to put that kind of pressure on actors saying, you got to get this in one go, uh, otherwise we don't have a scene. And that's the way it was. What about for you, Tristan, just again, preparing for a scene, knowing like that, I've only got one take at this. Yeah, there was times when um, it was literally like that. There was people, you were walking into a scene that you'd been waiting to shoot for a few hours, but, you know, and, and it would literally be like, right, we got five minutes to get this and you knew you had one take and... You just, you know, it can be a little bit, you just got to, yeah, you just got to try to push that out of your mind and just try to do the best you can for that scene, you know, and it's not ideal, but sometimes the less time you have to, you have to mull it over, you just get straight in there. But obviously you'd always like to have another couple of takes, but you know the way it is. I, I, I've, I've been working uh, in this for a while now and you know the way it is sometimes, sometimes that's just the way it pans out and you just have to make the best with the, with the take you have and, and do it, you know, but it's, you know, it's independent filmmaking, like you said, and, and time is not, and, and you go into this knowing, knowing that, and knowing that you have to do everything you can to make it, to make it work. And that's just part of it, you know. Tristan, when you were reading the script and uh, in advance of shooting, were there any particular scenes that you thought, God, this, this is going to challenge me today? I'm nearly looking forward to it because I don't know where it's going to go because I know the likes of John Connors, he's the type that, he doesn't like to prep too much. He's very much, look, whatever happens on the day, I'm kind of almost going to lean into the spontaneity of the piece. So for you leading up to Broken Law, was there anything in particular you thought, I don't know how this is going to go? I really wanted, there was a, one scene that I was worried about, the, the, the chemistry and the natu- how, how natural it was going to be, and that was the, the scene on the couch. Uh, Paddy, I know, was kind of nervous about that as well because it was a, it was such a, pivotal moment in the relationship with the brothers um, that it had to be right it had to be natural and the chemistry had to be exactly right so I think we were both quite uh, nervous about that scene. Paddy you said that you know there's scenes that you cringe with because obviously you knowing full well that oh there was we only had one take of that how has it been watching Broken Law with an audience because 
in a in a weird way, it must be like watching it through different eyes. I think every filmmaker will relate to the fact that when you see the film up there, you only ever really see the imperfections, the stuff that you'd like to do again or do differently. And unfortunately for me, that's that's where I am now. And I hope someday in the future, maybe on this Netflix release, I'll be able to watch it with family or friends and be a little bit more objective and switch off my analytical brain. And that, that's the only reason I cringe, not because the performances are bad, the performances are amazing. But I know that if we had more time to develop certain scenes, uh, different emotional contexts would have come to the fore, you know, that kind of way. So, Paddy, it does feel like a lifetime ago since Broken Law had its premiere at uh, the Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival. It's always a mouthful of that. For you now, going into this year, granted we're in lockdown again, but as we mentioned from the offset, opening up uh, Broken Law to a whole new audience is fantastic with Netflix. Where do you see your career going next? Do you want to stay within this particular type of crime genre or are you now thinking of different types of films? Because Broken Law was was really well received. There was an awful lot of really strong critical plaudits for it. How does it position you as a filmmaker to try and pursue other projects now? If I'm fortunate enough to have a career after this, um, for me, Broken Law, we wanted to do something that would appeal to a broader audience. Uh, we wanted to try and, in a cynical kind of way, we wanted to try and please an audience, but also please our investors, because raising the money to make a film is the most difficult challenge for any filmmaker. So if you can tick off both of those boxes, that might give you then an opportunity to make another one. Um, so the next time around, again, although I do love the crime drama genre, I think the next one is going to be more of a, a drama, a straight drama. Um, and I, we're already... Uh, <laughs> I'm already sitting down pulling my hair out with, with a draft at the minute. So uh, I'd love to, yeah, premiere at Cannes Film Festival for the next one. <laughs> Why not, to be honest with you, Paddy? Tristan, how do you see things progressing now, getting back into shooting again? Um, do you think it's going to be a while yet? I know they're hoping that people will all be vaccinated by the end of August. But are we kind of looking at another sort of tough year when it comes to uh, making shorts and and features? Um, yeah, it's at the moment, it not it? It's just kind of really taking it day by day, week by week. It's we had uh, we were to shoot our short last March and it got stopped about 10 days before it was to shoot with the first lockdown. And we rescheduled it for October and it was shut down because of the six week lockdown. So we actually shot it the first week that it opened up in December and we were thinking there was a, it was 50-50 whether we'd do it in January. We were kind of thinking, oh, we might do it in January. It might be better after Christmas. And we just decided then, right, let's just do it the first week when it reopens. And thank God we did because it just, nobody could have predicted how quickly it would jump up. So it's unpredictable. And I think nobody really knows how it's going to play out over the next six months with the rollout of the vaccination and stuff. So it's really it's really just we have to we have to wait and see and, and take it week by week because it's it's impossible to, to predict. I'm so delighted for you both that people are going to see it on Netflix. It's a fantastic achievement now that's going to be opened up, especially for audiences in the UK. 
Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Paddy Slattery, writer, director, Tristan Hinu, star of the film. Gentlemen, it's been a wonderful chatting to you both and I wish you continued success. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Gordon. We love movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Now we're going to take a look at uh, some big movie stories this week and one that really dominates in a fairly tepid week when it comes to big movie news is Netflix and the fact that they are going to be rolling out over 70 movies throughout 2021. So we're going to pretty much get a a new film every week. That's what they're planning anyway. But are the films they have uh, ready and waiting, are they any use? Well, joining me as always is Andy McCarroll and Chris Wasser. Andy, they've got over 190 million subscribers to keep happy do Netflix. And we should also say that besides a lot of these productions being original content, There are also acquisitions as well. And some of those acquisitions can be films that studios are looking to paw off because they realize, you know what? We've got a bit of a turd on our hands here and no one's going to see this in the cinema when cinemas do eventually reopen. So we might as well get them out. But they have a lot of big names attached to some of their projects like Dwayne Johnson, Melissa McCarthy, Halle Berry. We'll chat about her name in a sec. Jason Momoa and Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds is pretty much in the Netflix business as is Chris Hemsworth. So there's um, there's a lot of talent there. And they are quite in an unenviable position, bearing in mind they're unhampered by the pandemic. So, but Andy, there's a lot there to to digest. First and foremost, what are your thoughts on uh, what's coming down the tracks? Well, first of all, I was amazed that you can show 71 films uh, featuring some of the biggest stars in the world and where it actually be meh. It's to me, they're just they're not sold as films, they're sold as products. Like even the, the thing at the top of the ad, we have The Rock, Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot. And it's, Here's like here's the biggest star on Instagram and his tequila company, along with the biggest star on Twitter and his gin company with Wonder Woman. And we've teamed up to bring you an explosion every 15 minutes. There's going to be a million viral videos about this where they all, you know, Ryan Reynolds and The Rock having a little back and forth like they're best friends. You'll watch 20 minutes of this film and forget it forever because one thing they've not mentioned and they never mentioned in any of these is script, story, anything to get you interested in the actual film part of it it's just sold as if this is like a a, a sponsored ad on instagram to convince investors this company like you said that's the number they care about 193 million subscribers buy shares in this company we're going to be around forever we've got big stars but as i was saying to you off air they had was it 370 original films last year couldn't name two of them that I could say are going to stick in my memory longer than the time I watched them. It's, it, it's not a film company anymore. It's a, it's a viral marketing company now. Because um, I, again, we were having a, a good chat amongst ourselves before we started recording. And I went through just some of the, um, the, the numbers when it came to viewing figures. And, and Netflix have sometimes been a little bit coy about viewing figures. And Extraction was one of their big films from last year. And that got 99 million viewers. But then when you drill down, this is those numbers are made up of people who've watched at least two minutes of the film. So I don't know what that is really saying. But would it be fair to say as well, like a lot of these movies that they might even struggle to get a cinema release? Like, for example, if Extra Vision was still going, would a lot of these films have ended up maybe on the second or third bottom lower shelf? Yeah, like you're not going to go and see, you know, Extraction, the Chris Hemsworth action film, if he's not in the Avengers or, or Spencer Confidential, which was the second film on that list. You have the, the Marky Mark one with remember what, anything about that film at all. And the more you kind of go through the list, you're like, these are films I wouldn't pay 
money to see. Now I am, I'm paying my, my monthly subscription, but I wouldn't go out and pay, you know, 20, 30 quid to go and see these in the cinema. And half the films on these lists, I don't recognize, or I don't know, or I've, I've no interest in seeing. Like you said, these are films that studios would have and go, no, I, I think I'll pass. I don't see any value in this now. I'm someone who was always saying, you know, that I, I love those kind of the mid-budget movies, like films like Seven and Zodiac. And if that's what this was for, I'd say perfect. This is the place where, you know, proper films, quote unquote, are going. But it's not. They're just making these kind of vacuous, straight-to-video action movies that, like you said, would find on the bottom shelf of Extravision that if the, the film you wanted to see wasn't there, you'd go on this. It's something to watch when you don't want to watch anything. And I think that the fact that, you know, there's so much content coming out and so little of it that sticks in the memory, I think that's the kind of real, you know, damnation of, of Netflix. For all you say about Disney+, Plus, a lot of the stuff they make, the original stuff, like, you know, things like Mandalorian, actually are, are stuff that you would want to watch. Whereas this, it's just, it's content for content's sake. Okay, so Andy's fairly damning there, Chris. I want to bring you in here. But one thing that Netflix doesn't have in comparison to their rivals like Disney Plus and, and stateside HBO Max is that they don't have the IP of a lot of big characters like you would get with, say, Star Wars or Marvel. They have to go out and produce original content or acquire content in order to keep feeding those subscribers. So is it a case where, yes, granted, there's going to be an awful lot of quantity there, but unfortunately, not everything is going to be a home runner. That's it. That's it entirely as well, because when you think of HBO Max, HBO Max is not just synonymous with, you know, Warner Brothers and DC content. That's the home of DC content. Um, and also it'll be interesting to see when that rolls out for, for, for international audiences. When you think of Disney Plus and you think of Marvel, they, they, they own Star Wars and they produce new Star Wars stories and they produce new Marvel stories. When you think of Netflix, it's just it's still this online extra vision and still one movies coming out over the next year that doesn't really excite me because Andy hit the nail on the head there watching that announcement with Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds you're looking at a product announcement you're looking at something that wouldn't seem out of place if you know you, you, you half expect them to launch some new gadgets and the way they were asking people do you love movies it's almost like well that's a bit of a silly question I, I like stories I like cinema I, you know don't don't ask silly questions. You're, you're, you're a movie service. You're not here to, to sell us something. You're actually here to kind of maybe keep us on board and hitting us over the head with, I think they, they, they squeezed 27 trailers into two and a half minutes. That is just absurd because you're not going to get anything from that. I mean, I saw people last night were quite excited about the first footage of Adam McKay's um, uh, Don't Look Up with Jennifer Lawrence and, and Leonardo DiCaprio. It's this five second clip and already people are, championing the you know the cinematography and the looks that the actors give each other please it's just an image from a yeah. film that tells us nothing about the story watching that netflix announcement as well i did feel as though it, you know something like that wouldn't seem out of place in in idiocracy uh, a very underrated comedy if if, if 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 listeners haven't seen it about you know the, the, the way that the world could go if we're not careful it's just this dumbing down of cinematic content this you know more kind of you know uh, emphasis on you know uh trying to what it is gordon is it's basically they're providing content for you to half watch while you're on your phone or while you're on your laptop thinking of what you'll watch after that it's nothing that's going to keep us engaged so looking at that i thought there's probably one or two little things in there like andy was saying i think what was it 370 films in the last two years there will there will of course you know i'm not going to be too cynical about it there might be a handful of films there that you know a year from now we'll say 
that was great. That was terrific. You know, they, they succeeded there. Most of it, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sold. And this whole 99 million uh, views for some of the films that they've had, again, it's back to that old thing that if you watch two minutes or three minutes of the film, which I have done because sometimes, you know, I shouldn't say it, that is all you need to see to know how things are going to go. You're counted as a viewer, so I don't really trust that. So the whole thing doesn't really excite me. Um, as I say, I, 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 I do hope there will be at least a handful of things in there that I will, you know, watch and, 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 and be happy that I did. But, you know, look, I can take it or leave it. Yeah, it is. Uh, you, you hit the nail on the, several heads there, Chris. I'm, Andy, do you want to bring you back in here just to go through some of um, the content that is coming down the tracks, some of the potential hits and misses? I think there'll be more misses than hits. I'm sorry to be so down on all these Netflix releases, but there is not very much that's given me an awful lot of promise. Like The Woman in the Window, which um, the, Amy Adams stars in. Joe Wright. Very successful filmmaker, made the likes of Atonement, a Pride and Prejudice, to name but a few. Um, based on a very successful novel, um, Amy Adams plays this agoraphobic woman living alone in New York and she's spying on her new neighbours and only to witness a disturbing act of violence. So we're talking very much rear window. This has been plagued with production problems and this has been passed on to Netflix. I can't imagine, you know, even with the reshoots that that's done, that, that is, it, we're going to see anything exciting there. Then we get Halle Berry's directorial debut, Bruised, in which she plays a former MMA fighter struggling to regain custody of her son and restart her athletic career. I'm like, oh, don't know about that. And But one film, like, there's, there's a trying to pick, pick stuff out. You did mention, Chris, about uh, Don't Look Up from Adam McKay. I'm hoping that could be good. And that that's the type of movie that I would have imagined when I got the cinematic release, bearing in mind the star power of Vald, I was really shocked to see that was going, coming to Netflix. I've hopes for that. And in my own little way, maybe this could be a guilty pleasure. I have a little bit of hope for Zack Snyder's film, Army of the Dead. Now, I know he hasn't had a great run, uh, Zack Snyder, but it feels like he's gone back to the well because Dawn of the Dead, his remake of Dawn of the Dead, was pretty much its own thing. And I think it's his best film. Andy, just looking at the likes of Army of the Dead and some of the other films on offer, does is there anything giving you a bit of promise? Yeah, Army of the Dead, I think, could be quite good. I just I, I love Batista as well. So anything, you know, even the story, it sounds very B-movie. You know, the zombies running around Las Vegas and he leads mercenaries to pull off a heist in the middle of a zombie attack, which, you know, just sounds like my kind of B-movie nonsense. There's one there directed by Joan Anthony Russo, of course, done uh, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame called The Grey Man with Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, which is supposed to be, you know, kind of a 007 type spy movie. That potentially could be good. There's another one there as well from Andrew Dominic, who done the, the very underrated uh, Jesse James movie with Brad Pitt a couple of years ago. He's doing one about the the life of Marilyn Monroe, kind of told through, you know, the the, the paparazzi and the kind of the birth of, of all of that. That could be, again, could be something interesting, but not something that immediately leaps out of you. That Halle Berry film just sounds... It sounds like an ego film that, you know, if she was doing X-Men, they went, okay, I'll do another X-Men, but I'm into UFC now and I want to make a UFC film. They went, okay, right, grand, there's 20 million film that no one's ever going to see. Don't look up. Just purely for the cast, uh, Chris touched on it earlier, DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Jonah Hill, Timothy Chalamet, even Meryl Streep is in this. And it's about you know two astronomers who are going on a media tour to warn about, you know, a comet that's eventually going to destroy Earth. More doom and gloom, you know, which is exactly what we need coming into to 2021. But like you said, there's a lot of films there that you just kind of go, yeah, maybe. 
there's nothing that really leaps out. It's a lot of this kind of star-driven stuff, you know, like things like Kevin Hart has like four films coming out. Melissa McCarthy has that awful-looking Thunder Force film. I just, I, every one of her, she's like a kind of female Eddie Murphy from a couple of years ago, where she's just every joke is just you know Mrs. Brown's boys kind of obvious level, and you're just how are you getting you know millions to make these films who was watching this and i think chris hit the nail on the head this is people watching the movie on their phone when they're waiting for something else that they do actually want to watch yeah it definitely has a, a real smack of all of that well that's netflix now so we're, we'll, we'll park all things there but we're lots of content on the way from that streaming giant over the next few years i just want to mention a few other um movie news stories from this week and this this particular story fills me with an awful lot of hope because an actor that I loved growing up and he went off the scene entirely was Brendan Fraser. He just unfortunately had dud after dud after dud and he pretty much went into what was like cinematic jail. And I think there was some also some personal stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, his marriage uh, came to an end and I think there was some there might have been some personal stuff there, but he definitely went off the radar. And he's now going to be front and center in Darren, Darren Aronofsky's new film, which I'm really excited to see. Chris and Andy, thoughts on Brendan Fraser initially? Chris, um, how would you rate Brendan Fraser as a matter of interest? Actually, growing up in in in, in the nineties, I, I I really liked Brendan Fraser. I thought the um, the name escapes me now, gentlemen. The uh, caveman film that he made, where he was California, uh, California man, man California yes. man. Yeah, I think that was my first uh, uh, experience with Brendan Fraser, and I thought, who's this guy? He's kind of funny. And uh, yeah, over the next few years with the Mummy films, um, uh, less the, um, the, the 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 latter comedies that he made. I think at one stage he was, you know, in a talking animal movie, and then he was George of the Jungle. But he had something. He had. I think he was born out of time. And I think he, you know, he was that old school, handsome, uh, you know, screwball comic actor um, who could do everything but deliver a serious dramatic performance. I mean, I know he had that, you know, uh, coming of age drama. It was almost like, um, you know, an early uh, uh, Goodwill hunting. Uh, I think it was a broken ties, um, but he couldn't really, you know, kind of uh, uh, succeed as a dramatic actor. But I certainly liked him as a comic actor. And he has gone off the radar and he has spoken at length about before, you know, the, trouble behind the scenes basically and i think there was a few um but sorry Chris, it wasn't, I, it wasn't alleged that he was sexually assaulted it was that it was that exactly yeah which i was about to mention that um he had been trying to say for years that he was assaulted and he did find himself harassed in in several situations throughout his career and to the point where he was deeply uncomfortable with you know moving forward as as an actor and the last i heard of him uh he did this terrific interview i think with the new york times where he was talking about how he was just much happier at home on his farm and i think he you know he's he's got some horses and he lives in a cabin and, and he seemed like you know a very content happy man away from the business so stepping back in now it will be interesting to see what this new phase of his career is like and if there is kind of you know First of all, if younger viewers will remember him and also if he still has that enthusiasm, because, you know, he does come across as someone who might be a lot happier not making movies. Well, I think uh, the late Patrick Swayze was the exact same. There's a really interesting documentary about him. I am Patrick Swayze. And he very much got to the the point where he just did not like the Hollywood system and he'd rather be on his ranch and chilling out there to the point where his agents were like, you you need to kind of come out of here in order to make a film. But you can definitely tell by his choices 
that he wasn't really, he wasn't very pushed. Like he had a few, he had a number of hits that kept him going. That was it. Andy, just in, in terms of people interested um, to know about uh, Darren Aronofsky's film, um, it's called The Whale. Plot wise, what's happening with it? Yeah, plot-wise, it kind of sounds a bit like me in quarantine. It's a, a 600-pound recluse who's hiding away from the world, slowly eating himself to death, uh, is given a chance at redemption, which, you know, not unlike Brendan Fraser himself, Aronofsky has this great talent for, you know, revitalizing people's careers. We saw that with uh, with Mickey Rourke and the rest there. Unfortunately, he completely blew his comeback. One thing I will disagree with slightly uh, with Chris is I think he's actually a very good dramatic actor. He's in that series, uh, Danny Boyle series, the moment trust about the uh, the abduction of john paul getty he's very very good and i thought he was very good in, in gods and monsters i'm actually on a bit of a, a brendan fraser rewatch watch blast from the past over christmas and now we're back oh, watching yes, the good. mummy and george the i actually didn't realize blast in the past and the mummy was the same year he looks about 10 years different in between i don't know, I don't know what happened in the shoot with the mummy but it certainly aged him up a little but he's he just seems to be enjoying himself a bit more now he's in that doom patrol uh the dc tv seems like he's having the absolute time of his life so i think he's a lot more what's uh, trying to think of a nice way of saying it. emotionally Intense. stable than than mickey rourke so i think if he gets his comeback here i don't think he's gonna blow it in the way that he did so hopefully he won't be getting tattoos and doing boxing matches with his chihuahua <laughs> i think the unfortunate the unfortunate thing of you know working with aronofsky is aronofsky aronofsky lost an awful lot of goodwill and an awful lot of fans with mother a film which just was not finished was just just he flew too close to the sun on that picture i remember sitting there for the first half of that film and thinking this is great this is this is quite promising the performances are really good it felt as though i was watching a film's play at one stage but you know i liked it and then it just descended into chaos and you know there were some stories about him just being very you know over the top and uh too kind of you know too much of a, a control freak on a freak on that picture yes he has made some good films before that's probably a bit of an understatement but i don't know it, he he lost me with that one so I don't know how this is going to go. And also, does that mean, Andy, that Brendan Fraser is going to wear a fat suit for this for this film? No, he's going to put on five hundred pounds. Well, I'd hope he. <laughs> I hope he puts on a fat suit. <laughs> I, I I think it'll be a comeback of sorts, definitely for both of them. I'm I, I think it's it's great to see uh, Brendan Fraser getting um, a leading man role again. Um, Andy, just very very quickly, I'm going to mention a few other um, movie news. Just want to give me a, a quick little blast on what you think. Star Wars, Kevin Feige's film, is going to happen. The writer of Loki is behind it. Does this fill you with promise? It fills me with promise for two reasons. One, the Loki series must be really good if straight off the back of that you're given a Star Wars film. And I think we've seen from kind of the, the misdirection that the last few Star Wars films have had that they need a steady hand like Kevin yes. Feige had in the, the Marvel Universe. So the best thing to do is just you know, steal him and have him do it. So it does fill me with a lot of promise. And we've seen what, like, what, he, what he's done with the, the decade of Marvel. A motivated Kevin Feige is, is something to behold. And he's also mentioned that Deadpool 3 is happening and it's going to be part of the MCU. Yeah, I, I, that it took as long as this i know the even the disney plus they don't have anything passing a 12 certificate at the moment so i like that they you know they kind of went all out and said yeah look deadpool it's going to be r-rated i'm curious to see how much of the mcu they tr they let into this because i think the fear of disney is you know deadpool could be you know people see thor going in and swearing up a storm that they'll be going home and doing the same to their parents but I think people have enough credit now to be to be able to you know, have a, a, an R-rated Marvel movie and not have to worry about, you know, won't somebody please think of the children? 
<laughs> and finally, finally, Andy, just on the movie news side of things, Black Panther 2, we all know that it is happening. Uh, Ryan Coogler is currently trying to rework, obviously, the whole script. But news out this week is that Doctor Doom is going to feature in it. Yeah, I think they need something really big to, to hook people in, obviously, with Chad Buttons. Uh, unfortunate death that they're, they're he's not going to be in this they need something to kind of pivot to hook people into black panther too and i think dr doom could be the next big bad he could be the thanos going forward for the next i think he's a character in the comics that is he's one of my favorites he's absolutely fantastic it hasn't been done justice in, in either of the fantastic four films they made an absolute hames of the two of them so I, hopefully this time they get it right and i think this could be the one that they build the, the next phase of marvel around Great stuff. We started with all things Netflix. We're going to return to it now, Chris, because one of the, the big releases out this week is the Irish film Broken Law. And it is mad to think that this film first saw the light of day at the Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival back in March 2020. And of course, the, the global pandemic hit soon after, which delayed the release of the film. And when it did come out, it only had a, a short time in cinemas. So for Paddy Slattery, the writer, director and everyone involved with the, the distributors, breakout pictures, it's great now for the film to, um, to be on the, the Netflix platform. It's just a, a wider audience. But for those that haven't seen it, Chris, what's going on with the plot? Yeah, it had an unfortunate run of us. Uh, 2020 should have been uh, Paddy Slattery's year. And in a sense, it was. He did win awards at last year's film festival. It did have a short cinematic run. It took in uh, a decent amount, all things considered, the fact that, uh, you know, cinemas could only take, uh, could take fewer punters. But Netflix should hopefully, uh, you know, uh, it should have a bigger audience now as a result of being on Netflix. Um, it's got a, a solid crime story, one that we might have uh, seen or heard a hundred times before, but Paddy Slattery does kind of do some fresh things with it. We have uh, Tristan Yenu, uh, Tristan Hinu. Am I pronouncing his name? Hinu, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Tristan Hinu. He plays a, a, a decent guard uh, named Dave Conley. And when I say he's a decent guard, we see some scenes of him at the beginning where, you know, he's turning down a bribe from someone he's pulled over for speeding. Uh, you know, he's he wants to buy his own house, but, you know, he's, he's not going to do anything shady when maybe some of his colleagues are to earn extra money. Um, and then on the other side, we have his brother, uh, Joe Connolly, played by Graham Early, and he is a criminal. He has just been released from prison. We're not too sure what he went down for. Uh, but on the day he's released, he goes on the session with his mates Wallace, played by John Connors, and Pete, played by Ryan Lincoln. And it emerges that for him and that job is that they are going to basically have you know they're going to stage a bank robbery they're actually going to rob a credit union or as or as it's known in this picture a credit center on the day that they rob the credit center the garda dave Connolly, is in the credit center now that might seem like just a too much of a convenience a ridiculous coincidence but we just have to go along with it a, ch a chase ensues and dave and joe come head to head and dave then has to make the decision you know do i basically hand in my brother here or do i hide him and he hides him and in the film kind of is like what happens next in terms of you know the brother's life look the brother actually wants to get out of a life of crime he you know is just he, he wants to start his life over it's about what happens to this family when you've got one guy on the wrong side of the tracks and another who is completely conflicted not just about the the, the profession he has but you know in terms of what it might mean for his brother if he was to hand them over so a story that we've heard maybe a hundred times before as i said but you know with some new ingredients thrown into the mix 
Chris, originally Paddy uh, Slattery, the writer-director, he was going to call the film The Broken Law of Attraction and he was heavily influenced by Magnolia of having this big ensemble and how you'd have all these interconnecting stories. And of course, then with budget constraints and what have you, you have to just boil that all down. And eventually he felt that out of all the interlinking stories, the one in which the two brothers were connected was the one that he felt, no, I think I maybe we'll just go down this direction. Two brothers, opposite sides of the, the law, this is the one we'll focus on. Now, the film, it's a small budget movie. Paddy has even said earlier on that they sometimes didn't have the luxury of having to do numerous takes. And he's been, and he's very honest. Like he said, there's times where he does watch the film and he does cringe going, God, if we'd only had another take here, um, how much that scene could have been improved. What did you take away from the filmmaking and, and the production on uh, Broken Law? Well, that is interesting that he says that because there is a sense throughout this that this thing could be better uh, if it had a bigger budget, um, if they were able to kind of make it a bit more widescreen. I mean, it's a very claustrophobic piece. A lot of the scenes take place in, you know, Garda Dave Connolly's tiny apartment or down alleyways. You know, you can kind of spot the parts of Dublin that it's in. But if it just opened up the world a little bit more you know, you need a bigger budget for that, it might have been better. Maybe not opening up the world in terms of having so many different intertwining stories. As you said, this thing has been on the go for quite a while. It was a crowdfunded project. There was an awful lot of goodwill behind it. Uh, it's Paddy Sl- uh, Slattery's uh, uh, major directorial debut. I think the idea of having all these intertwining stories, it, you know, I know he was aiming for Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia, that might have gone a little too much like intermission and we really don't need another intermission that was good for its time but it's so it's it's kind of nice that he has you know tightened the story as much as possible maybe not tightened it as much as he needs because there are times when you do feel as though entire scenes are missing when it doesn't really fully explain the familiar troubles at the center of the film um, and, and when it seems as though you know things are just a little bit too rushed now the the, the positives of, of all this is that I was never bored. It this clocks in, and I know that might seem like you know a, a silly thing to say, but it's true. This clocks in at just under the ninety minute mark, and it is quite thrilling. And for a thriller, you know that's you have to take that box. I think uh, the cinematography is the real winner here. We have uh, Narayan uh, Van Meel's cinematography is just brilliant. It certainly looks the part, and John says as well he he does have to you know cut over some major cracks and some major question marks in the storytelling but it just zips along and then we have the performers working very very hard to make the most of their dialogue and to make the most of the material but sometimes doesn't sound all that natural so what where it lets itself down a little bit is in the storytelling department because it does feel as though slattery may have misplaced some of the screenplay and there are too many there are too many cliches i don't really like the idea of you know uh, a fictional news reporter on a fictional news channel yes. you know filling you in on the blanks on radio programs or tv yeah i i, I really that's just that's just uh, uh well, no, it's, it sounds like you know i'm not fond of an irish filmmaking it sounds like it's you know nice tight thriller you know on netflix yeah a platform that now is going to open it up to a whole new audience um andy just before we go and um, you also saw broken law you were at the screening at the uh the, the film festival last year in dublin what are your own thoughts on uh broken law because being at that screening and being able to be able to take in the atmosphere uh, obviously that's the you know everyone's going to be absolutely loving it but what did you take away well yeah i was one of them i did i absolutely loved it and then i rewatched it again afterwards just just to see if it wasn't you know a case of i've been to the premiere where they're all there you, you do kind of tend to get swept up in these things but i, I do think it's it's a really 
tight, really well done, really well acted thriller as well. I'm a, I'm a huge champion of, of John Connors. I think he's he's one of those that he, he's always known as the traveler actor, but he is like he's so much more. He is just a fantastic actor. I got to interview him around the time this was coming out as well, and just how kind of funny he is, how he kind of he slips into different accents and stuff. I think there's so much more to him then we're seeing or he will be given the opportunity to see because you know his personality doesn't do him any favors in some cases there was that you know the, the famous ifi speech where you know he was talking about not being able to get funded and then responded by people not funding any of his work but i really really enjoyed this film i know we were kind of going off on one on netflix earlier but i think this is the kind of film that should be on netflix that one that isn't going to make at the cinema really enjoyed watching this mm. and it isn't something that i'm going to watch you know on my phone or going to watch for 10 minutes and turn off these are the kind of films i want to see on netflix more story-based story-driven really well acted films which they, they don't seem to have a lot of at the moment absolutely I, I agree with andy there it's original storytelling that also showcases fresh new Warriors talent and what you're watching is this very atmospheric thriller where you think I want to see more of what Paddy Slattery can do. And also, I want to see more of John Connors because, as Andy said, he's his own worst enemy when it comes to, you know, his, his, his personal life away from the ca- camera. But he is quite charismatic, often terrifying, funny here. He does have a huge presence. If you need a one-note, you know, uh, recommendation, think something, you know, between the lines of cardboard gangsters and the town. It works. It's flawed, but it works. Oh, excellent stuff. I I can't wait to see what Paddy Slattery is going to do next. Chris Wasser, Andy McCarroll, thank you so much. As always, a pleasure talking to you both. And uh, we'll chat more on next week's show. Well, that's it for this week on We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. Thank you so much for your company. We'll do it all again from eight on spin. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.